I realize you might not recognize me this morning because I have more hair than I usually have. And for a bald guy, this is a lot of hair. But I like to shave my head for, for just because it, when it, it grows like this, it looks pretty stupid. And so I, I like to shave my head. It makes me feel, makes me feel powerful for some strange reason. It makes me feel tough. I know. It's really, and it makes me start to think about being a superhero. Now, I know that might sound strange, but here's, I'm going to, you know, I, I like making uh, confessions to you. Uh, confession is good for the soul, and we should confess our sins one to another. But this is not really a sin, but I want to make a confession to you this morning. That I actually pray this, and I do, and my wife will, will tell you, I actually pray for superpowers. I do. And I'm actually pretty serious about it. And I, hopefully I'll explain why, that's, why I do that. Growing up reading comic books, I, I loved comic books, and I would probably still read them if they weren't so expensive. You know, God has done me a great favor by all these superhero movies that have come out recently, from the Avengers, Captain America, my favorite, Spider-Man, my other favorite, you know, Superman, all of them, you know, and even the recent one, Ant-Man, has, you know, you had, had to see it, okay, you know, just needed to see it, because it speaks something to me, and usually... Usually in these movies, God speaks to me about something in my life or in my heart or an attitude and helps me understand myself better and understand his heart better. But if, strangely enough, it didn't happen in Ant-Man. And I was, and I was like, wow, wow, what's up with this? And, and then I saw something in the whole kind of scope of the superhero theme. And realizing that, you know, in our hearts, in our core being, God has placed something in us to want to be part of an epic story. He has written us into the most epic of stories that there ever has been written. Jesus Christ is indeed the the most powerful superhero that has ever walked or will ever walk on the face of the planet. The power to remove sin and the effects of sin is off the charts and can't be compared to by any other thing that we see mirrored in these movies. However, these movies speak to us or they call to us or reading stories of, of epic legends and stuff like that, they appeal to us because God has placed something inside of our hearts, hearts to want to be part of this, to want to be epic, to, to want to, to be a hero, to do something that changes the life of someone or, or maybe even the, the, the lives of many people. The difficulty is that most of us live what we call mundane, ordinary lives. The nine-to-fiveness of our lives. And it's really difficult to find the epicness in a nine-to-five existence. We tend to get complacent. We tend to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, what's so heroic about my life? What's so meaningful? What difference am I really making in my life if I'm just working to, make, to earn a living, if I'm just going to school to learn another subject, and nothing really seems to impact my world? We were at a family reunion yesterday, uh, a, a yearly occurrence called Festivus. And there's one gentleman who is not really a family member, but we end up talking to each other for most of the, for most of the day. We enjoy conversating 
about many different things. And when we were talking about his job, he just got a new job teaching in the South Bronx. The South Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. But the South Bronx, there, there's a good part of the South Bronx, believe it or not. There is one. It's about two blocks long. And then, and then there's the South Bronx. And that's where he works. He's a teacher. The other day, there's a kid in his, in his class, and he has many troubled kids, as you can imagine, in his class. And, it, and he was given out an assignment, and this kid reacted violently to this assignment, swearing, cursing, threatening my friend. My friend gets angry back, of course, because this kid is giving him lip, this kid is giving him attitude, and he's finally, in order to contain and, uh, and not lose containment, he sends the kid out of the classroom to the, uh, the principal's office. He's still angry and still like, what am I going to do with this kid? You know, he doesn't listen. He's, he's violent all the time. And, you know, and uh, i got to get him out of my class. He finds out later in the afternoon that this kid's, this young boy, Mother had just passed away. His brother has been shot, not once, but twice in the same week. Shot once, goes to the hospital, gets out of the hospital, gets shot again the very next day. This is his norm, this kid's norm. And is representative of almost all the kids in his class. Broken homes, no father, no mother, or maybe now two mothers or two fathers. Family structure is, is blown apart. There, there, there's nothing resembling what you and I understand what is a good and healthy family structure. There is no norm but abnormness in their lives. And this, this man is wondering, you know, what am I doing here? But the thing that keeps on driving him to go to the South Bronx is that he loves doing it. So I asked him, I said, do you feel like you're actually called? He goes, you know what? I've never thought about it in that light. I am called to be here. Because in reality, that little 9 by 10 classroom is the only security that these people know about. It's the only thing that's stable that they know about. It's the only thing in their life that they could go to and understand that this, this place is always a good place for me to be. And I told this man, I said, you know what, you, you father these children every day. And that's heroic. That's being a hero to someone. He's trying to teach them math and English and all these other subjects. Now there's things that they need to just exist in this world that we know about. Base level things the way he's, he tells them every day that he's praying for them, even this kid that he had a struggle with, he tells them, I'm praying for you. I want your life to get better. And he instructs them in other things, you know, how to react to the things that are happening in his life. This is a heroic, epic tale being written in that little 9 by 10 classroom in the South Bronx. It's, it's an understanding of our lives, of walking in the fear of the Lord that, that, that changes where we are because it changes who we are. 
And it's really the only answer that we have for the, for the multitude of garbage that is being shown on every media outlet that we read, watch, or hear. It's to walk in the fear of the Lord. 2,000 years ago, when the church was growing, they grew because they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine, you know, we, we hear about ISIS every day. We hear about the terrible things that they do. But we feel so far removed from it because it's on the other side of the planet. And yet, someone walks up to a recruitment center sprays a, a room with bullets, and tragedy happens. They're not that far removed. But I want you to imagine this morning that, that ISIS has taken over America. And we live under a terror state. How would that affect us walking in the fear of the Lord? Because for sure, the early church lived under a terrorist state existence. The Roman government was cruel, heartless, and would squash any sense of freedom that they wanted to exhibit against the government in a heartbeat. And yet, the scriptures say, the church grew. Every form of ah. Opposition that, that, that you can imagine the early church faced. Government, religious, neighbors, everything. The world was turned upside down because they decided to believe in a hero, Jesus Christ, that would change everyone's life. But put their life in danger because of it. Put their existence in danger. Put their norm in danger because they believed in this Messiah. And yet, under that persecution, under that opposition, under many, many, many things that made life hard for them, the church grew. And again, we have a great opportunity to grow as a church in the United States of America. We have a great opportunity because things have been so exposed. The light has shone in so many places now where things are being revealed all over the place. And we're shocked by it. We're shocked by a video where someone is admit what they're doing to certain body parts. We're shocked. It disgusts us. And it should. But I'm thankful that it's been revealed. See, light is moving. God is moving. And it's important, necessary, desperately necessary for us to to realize what we've been called into, this epic story that we've been called into. Absolutely necessary for us to understand our part. And what it means for us personally to walk in the fear of the Lord, and what it means for us as a congregation, as a church in High Park, and on and on and on as we build the pyramid of, of churches here in America. It is important to understand what God is saying to us on all levels of our existence. So that's why I wanted to do another week of trying to understand, wrap our minds about what, what the fear of the Lord means. You know, what the scriptures say, to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that really mean, to work out my salvation? Didn't Jesus pay it all? I have to be afraid of this process. I have to be afraid of what God is doing to and in me. 
Is that what it means? There's a story in Lord of the Rings, the movies. Everyone's seen that movie pretty much? Pretty much? In the first movie, in the Fellowship of the Ring, there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a scene that I think is a good picture, representation of the fear of the Lord and what it looks like. It's near the beginning of the movie where when Gandalf, this, this powerful wizard character, comes and visits his friend, Bilbo Baggins, a hobbit, uh, a race of people who are gentle, really consumed with their comfort, but Bilbo's a little bit different. He's going on this great adventure with Gandalf in a, in a book called The Hobbit and in a movie called The Hobbit. So there's history with those. So they're deep friends. Going through a lot of stuff together. And it's, and it's Bilbo's birthday. And he gives this big speech to all his fellow hobbits. And he says he's going to go, he's, he needs to go away. And he puts this ring on his finger and he disappears and everybody freaks out. Including Gandalf. Somehow Gandalf knows that Bilbo is heading back to his house. They meet up there. And they start talking about what he's going to leave behind for his nephew Frodo. And he says, you're going to leave that ring behind too. Right? And Bilbo says, yes, 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 of course, of course. And he starts to, he starts to takes the ring out of his pocket and he starts to play with it. Because this ring, and they both don't know yet that this is the one ring. They don't know this lit. But Gandalf is sensitive that this ring has some kind of hold on Bilbo. And as Bilbo is playing with the ring, he starts to change from this happy-go-lucky person into this distrustful this, this kind of warped, this evil kind of expression comes over his face and he says, you know, why should I leave it? Why should I leave it to him? It's mine. It's my precious, he calls it. And he says, wait a minute, you know, Gandalf, I think you're trying to take it from me. You just want it for yourself. He starts to accuse this powerful being in his presence. Gandalf does something very interesting, and I'm going to read it because it's powerful in what he says. Again, Bilbo has got this expression on his face and he's accusing Gandalf and Gandalf all of a sudden it starts to like, almost like grow into this, to this even bigger than what he is. And he's in a very small hobbit house. And the, and the room grows a little bit dark, but there's this light on Gandalf's face. And he says, Bilbo Baggins, do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. I am trying to help you. Bilbo's reaction is amazing. He changes quickly from this kind of evil-looking, kind of warped person. He starts to have this look of sheer fright on his face. But he does something very interesting. He has this ring. This ring, as soon as he slips it on, makes him disappear. He's in the presence of this powerful being. He could slip this ring on and disappear. Gandalf can't see him. But what he chooses to do is to leap into Gandalf's arms. It's a beautiful picture of the fear of the Lord. To be in the presence of someone so mighty, so powerful, can do anything at any moment to anyone, to anything, and says a message that I am not trying to harm you, just take something from you. I am trying to help you. And that by that power draws that person into him. 
See, the fear of the Lord is not to make us fear God and to run away from Him. It's to make us to run to Him. It is the safest place for us to be. The fear of God is this wonderful gift. We, you know, we heard it. It was a gift. We heard that the, that the fear of the Lord is life. And where else is life but in His presence? Continuously in His presence. I found that to be a wonderful picture for me to, to kind of wrap my mind about. But this, this, this fear of the Lord is got such a bad rap. It is okay to be afraid of God in that way because that fear moves us to Him. It makes us run into His arms where it's a safe place to be. Here's this expression that, you know, God messes with me a lot when I talk because I believe He does. And I believe He disturbs me all the time because, you know what, I get complacent because I think that, that my nine-to-fiveness actually controls my life. And I don't have a choice. And I need to be disturbed. I need God to mess with me, to, to mess with my theology, to mess the way I think about Him, because um, there's, there's, there's an important component of, of the fear of the Lord that moves us. It's interesting. In Hebrews 11.7, it says this. By faith, Noah having been warned by God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. That phrase, moved with fear, means something really amazing. It means showing pious, careful attention to something. Pious, careful attention. uh, Reverent introspection. To be uh, apprehensive, pay attention, and move accordingly. By faith, Noah moved with fear. The reason why the fear of the Lord is we're able to walk in it and move closer to Him is because of faith. Faith and fear are connected in this sense, the fear of the Lord. Faith shapes us, molds us, and fear moves us. It moved Noah to obey the things that God had asked him to do. He paid close attention to it. It was something that came from inside of him. It was a reverence. It was worship. It was everything because he realized that God had revealed something to him. He realized the power of what God had revealed to him and he was moved by fear to do the things that God had asked him to do. But again, that word fear again means to this reverent, absolute understanding of who God is and who we are really. That He is God and we're not.
Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13 says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Fear, walk, love, serve, keep. Do all these things with all that we have, not holding anything back, anything in reserve. This is walking in the fear of the Lord, and it's for our good. Studying the uh, Jewish mindset towards fear was very helpful for me. There are three levels. In the Jewish mindset, fear has three levels. There are three levels to fear. The first one is just to be afraid of circumstances. Be afraid if you make a mistake in the consequences that you pay for making it. This is just a general, if I, if I do this, I'm afraid this is going to happen. That's the first level. The second level gets a little bit more personal. The second level means afraid of breaking God's commandments and the punishment that comes from breaking God's commandments. It's a little bit more personal. Now we're getting, we're getting a personal connection here. The first one is kind of just a general thing. Now it's getting really personal. That's the second level. But the third level is really beautiful. And this is where the Jewish mindset, this is where they wanted to be, was the third level. It's the profound and deep reverence that comes from rightly seeing. But seeing like God sees. It's discerning His presence and His importance in everything of our lives. Why they embraced this or wanted this to be more of their life because this is where they developed a love for doing good like their father does. And this is where they understood what it really means to hate evil. That you can't hate evil apart from God's goodness. You can't understand evil apart from God's love. So this level of fear, this level of reverent fear before God changes the person that we are. See, the first two things has to do with behaviors. And behavior, you can change your behavior all the time, but it really doesn't change who you are. But if you change if your character, your, your heart, your spirit, your soul, when everything gets changed by the, by the blood of Christ, of course behavior is going to change. Of course actions are going to change. But it's because you've changed. And walking in the fear of the Lord... We, we, dis, we discern His presence and His importance, His supreme importance in every aspect of our life. This is why this is so important to, to understand this more and more, the fear of the Lord. It's not to cause us to run away from it. It's to cause us to run to Him. It's the kind of disturbing I want in my life. Read 
this scripture to you and I want to take it apart. I think it's a good picture of how when we're walking in the Lord, walking in the fear of the Lord, this is, this is what it looks like, I think. It's what I think God wants us to, to see it as. One of the things. It's in Psalm 37, verses 3 to 9. Trust in the Lord. That word trust means to be bold, confident, because someone has made you feel that way. It's personal. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. That means to settle, abide, establish something. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. You know that, that word for feed there really means to shepherd. Someone has shepherded you into a place where you can rest and eat and be filled. Feed on His faithfulness. He leads us to green pastures. Thank you. Delight yourself. That Hebrew word means to make merry. To make merry. And that, it, and that it's a, this is a delicate thing. It's, it's, it's very hard for me to imagine God as being delicate. But He's not. What it means is that this relationship we have needs to be handled with care. We need to be careful with it. We need to take it seriously. Because God is serious. God is serious all the time. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? Your desires. The desires He placed inside of you. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. How many wicked things have been revealed recently? Our response is not to fret, to worry. It's to wait patiently and rest. Because God's got a plan. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret because it only causes us harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But for those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That word inherit means that means you don't just get this land. You drive out the former occupants. There are a lot of, there are a lot of occupants that need to be driven out. There are a lot of evil things that need to be driven out. And this is what we've been called to do. So... So when I trust in Him, I'm going to tell you what it disturbs in me. See if it resonates in you. When I trust in Him, it disturbs my faith to rise up and do good like my Father does. Where I dwell, when I, when I dwell where He is, it disturbs my weakness and I draw strength from His faithfulness. I feed on His faithfulness. When I delight in Him, it disturbs my heart to fall deeper in love with Him. When I commit my way to Him, it disturbs my direction and I find my way. 
when I rest in Him, it disturbs my, my strife, my worries, and I find peace. When I cease from anger, it disturbs my resentment, and I forgive. And when I wait on Him, it disturbs my restlessness, and I come into my inheritance. I believe walking in the fear of the Lord actually brings us into freedom. I was here early praying this morning, and I got the sense that there is a fear that God wants to to release someone from this morning. And it's the fear of loss. I don't really know what that means, but it might mean something to you. But there's a fear of loss, and so I started to think about myself, you know, and say, okay, what am I afraid of losing? See, there is, this fear of loss is kind of like a ring. We could put it on and disappear. And the whole part about walking in the fear of the Lord is to be visible, to be light, to be soft, to make a difference, to be heroic in this world, to make a difference. Our lives matter. Our stories matter. What God has done in us matters. It is supposed to change, not just ourselves. So there's something about this this sense of loss, this fear of loss, that is kind of like a ring that makes us disappear. And God really wants us to lay it down and leave it behind. In the movie, Bilbo actually takes the ring and and he drops it on the floor. And it just hits the floor like a, like a big bang because it's so heavy. Because it's a weight. And if you watch the movies, the characters who are carrying the ring keep on saying how heavy the ring is. This fear of loss is a very heavy thing on you. And God wants you to lay it down because it's not for you to carry. He wants us to lay it down and leave it behind and run to Him. For me, I got to thinking about being visible and what what I would lose if I became more visible. Maybe my reputation. Jay's a good guy. He's a good guy. He gets along with everybody. Afraid of losing that? I don't know. Am I afraid of losing comfort? Like, like a hobbit? <laughs> I don't know what it represents to you. For, for, for me, that kind of that kind of stirs something in my own heart about what I need to leave behind. See, we become visible. The enemy doesn't like that. He would rather stay hidden in the shadows and accept something that's uh, less than what God has for us. 
He doesn't even have to really get us to sin. He just he can just get us to then hide. That's a fear that controls us. The fear of the Lord frees us. So I, I'm not sure what this word means to you, and maybe you don't have an answer right at this moment. But I would, I would ask you to kind of explore that question. You know, what am I afraid of losing? That keeps me from really walking, engaging in this fear of the Lord walk with God. What is it? Because I believe in all of us, we have that cry of being. Wanting to be heroic in our lives. To really make a difference in someone's life. Because God put it there. See, sons and daughters are, are meant to make a difference in this world. Certainly our elder brother, <laughs> he made quite a difference in this world. 